getting ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Guns and Yellow Ribbons. My name is Fergus. I am your host. Today I am joined by the two Dans. Unfortunately, Trevor has been pulled away. We'll talk about that briefly in a second. Uh, but I'm joined by two Dans. So, uh, Dan Mountney um, from the Guna Fanzine and Capo Dan, the ginger fellow with the flag on his back at Block 5, Block 6. So, um, I'm sure you'll recognise him. My mucker as well. Uh, we, 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 we've, we've travelled quite far away around the country uh, this season. And he's in the hot seat. Are you better now you're in the hot seat, pet? I've had a, a brilliant last five minutes. I come on all disappointed because I read on Facebook that it was joined by the two Dans. You know, not only last week was I relegated this week, I don't even get my own name intro, but now I'm in the hot seat. And, <laughs> uh, you know, he's he's um, he's demoted Alex and sacked him off because of all the abuse I've been giving him re- recently as well. And, yeah. That's not very true. That's not very true. Well, uh, first of all, welcome, Dan. Dan Mountney of the Gouda Fanzine. Dan, you have been on before. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, mate? I'm all good. Thank you for having me. Been a been a long time. First time this season, I think. So uh, I think it is. It would have been nice to, to come on and talk about a win, but uh, here we are. Yeah, we, we had to dig deep <laughs> this week. So like, you know, we got we got lots to talk about. We've got to talk about the Everton game. Clearly, uh, we'll talk about the Brentford game as well. Uh, that's coming up on Saturday, a three o'clock kickoff. How rare are they? Um, we'll touch on the Man City. Uh, game Wednesday, but more the Man City sort of what's going on around Man City and uh, how that could influence the league and Arsenal and so on. And just general, just a gooner chat. So we'll be on here for about an hour, an hour and 15. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, apologies for Trev. Trev was due to come on uh, and he may jump on, but he's been called into work uh, last minute um, due to some emergency at work. You know, Tesco's seriously... That, you know, there must be an emergency in Tesco. There was no, there was no ice cream on aisle seven, and they called Trev in. So, uh, you know, that's it. He he's the man to sort out aisle seven. Um. So, uh, Dan, early start. Capo, you're going to be from uh for for tonight. Um, early start. I picked you up about what was it, quarter past five, ten past five on on Saturday morning. We travelled all the way up to Everton. Uh, how was the journey? <laughs> Oh, well, I had to put up with uh, put up with you, didn't I? So it wasn't really the best journey up, but no, it was uh, it was quite a smooth journey. I think we was, um, I was quite looking forward to it, to be honest. I, um, you know, I said here last week that I genuinely thought we was going to get a good result against them. And um, I know there's a new manager bounce and I know there's a lot more going on in the background, but I was really confident that we was going to get a, a convincing win. Um, so yeah, disappointing in the end. We, 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 we took a trip up to Goodison. I haven't put all the photographs in here, but Goodison Park, a really old stadium. And, you know, it may be the last time that Arsenal go and see um, Everton at Goodison if Sean Dyche doesn't save them and they end up, uh, they've got one more season left uh, at Goodison Park. Uh, what did you make of the stadium? What did you make around the area? We went into the church beforehand. There was a little um, uh, like memorabilia flea market sort of thing. What did you make of all that? Yeah, I, I like them sort of grounds. And, you know, as we said, it was one of the grounds that I'd not been to and it's nice to be able to tick it off. Um, there's something about an old ground. I know there's posts and things that are in front of views at times and people say, you know, the, the corners are not filled in. But for me, old grounds like that, where you're so close to the pitch when you're in, you know, right in the streets in the community, it's, um, for me, it reminds me of football sort of growing up as a kid. And, um I found some pictures this week of me um, at Highbury when my granddad first took me to to Highbury, and it's just that sort of you know surrounding environment, really. Yeah, very similar. We we said as we were walking down the Gladys Street, literally the the turnstiles pile onto the pavement, and across the road are like two up, two down sort of um, proper cottagey sort of houses. Uh, Dan, have you been have you been to Goodison? I expect over the years you've probably been up there. Uh, I think Goodison's one of the ones I haven't done, but. Okay. As, as Capo says, it's you know it's one of those old stadiums that you can't you can't not love. It's it's football, isn't it? Yeah, and the Everton fans mounted a large protest outside the ground beforehand. Um, you know they've uh, they've not won a game since October, so the atmosphere leading up to this. Yes, we talk about the new manager bounce in a minute, but what do you make of this protesting that's gone on about Mashiri and 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 what they were doing outside the stadium beforehand? That clearly you wouldn't have seen much of that nor did we because we were in the ground but like your thoughts on the protest 
Um, I think you know it, it's, it's justified for them if that if that's how they're feeling. There's there's clearly a lot going on at that club, and there's I don't think it's necessarily a lack of investment, but I think it's the way the money's being invested, and they've over the past few years they've bought a lot of players for a lot of money, and none of them have been very good. And uh, now they're kind of having to scale that back. Um, I know a lot of the board aren't going to games because there's you know supposedly concerns over their safety because of these protests, but. You know, if I'd like to think if we're in the same situation, we'd, you know, we'd be protesting as well. It's, it's their club and they, they want things run properly. And it's not it's not mm. currently being run as it should be. And two of those players, just to name a few, Theo Walcott and uh, Alexa Wolby. Yeah. 70 million pounds. Arsenal, well, Arsenal uh, got 45 at least for a Wolby and then part of the Theo Walcott one. Um New manager bounced uh, uh, Capo. Uh, so Sean Dyche uh, was in place. Um, we struggled in the past at, when he was at Burnley uh, to get anything against uh, a Dyche type team. It was always a 1 0. You know the, the outcome and the result, but 1 0 or 0 0. Um, what's your thoughts on Sean Dyche and his style and you know method of managing teams like that? I think that's just old-fashioned football, right? That's that's really what English football used to be about. It's it's physical. It's getting their faces. It's it's lump the ball up, win it in the air, and 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 take your chances. Um, we've been sport the last sort of fifteen twenty years of the Premier League, where we've had near enough the European style football come into the Premier League, and and more teams that play on the ground and play good football. Um, football years ago was always like that, um, and it's got a time and a place. It's it's not like they're a League Two side, you know, these are these are Premier League footballers that are top quality footballers. Um, and it's just a case of getting the best out of them. And that's, that is what Sean Dyke does. He gets the best out of what he has. Um, he always sets up in a very similar way that they're hard to beat. And yeah, he's, he's experienced, he's been there, done it. And he knows he knows how to get teams in most times out of a sticky situation. So I, I think fair play to him. There's there's no criticism for me of, of how he plays. It's not how I'd like to see a team. And if I was a fan at the top of the league, I wouldn't like to see it. But if I was a team at the bottom of the league, I think I'd be quite grateful to have someone like him there. And uh, Dan, do you think having Tarkowski and McNeil um, in that squad of players, coincidentally, as it might happen, would have had a, a big influence? And how do you think their influence on the other team members would have been because of Dyche and no one Dyche? Well, it, it's definitely two voices in the dressing room that he can re- rely on, especially. Tarkowski strikes me as someone who's a bit of a leader in the dressing room, real domineering figure. Um, but yeah, as, as Capo said, I think he's, you know, his, his style is not necessarily what you'd want. But having two players that have played that style before is going to be really helpful for you, and they're going to need it if they're going to stay up. Yeah, yeah. Looking at our lineup, we had Ramsdale and goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel, and Zinchenko in the back line, Party and Shaka in the centre, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, and Nketia. As you would have expected, the bench as well was reasonably strong. We had Tierney, Tommy Asu holding, uh, Kivor and Jorginho, uh, both, uh, and Trossard, all three signings uh, were on the bench, along with Vieira and uh, Cozier Dubry. Yeah. Oh, we saw him against, um, was that the one we saw against Milan? Against yeah, Juventus, Milan. yeah. We, uh, Juventus, calling, yeah. Call him Saka 2.0. He's, uh, he's like a regen of Saka. He is. He is. Um, so, lineup, uh, no issues with the lineup. Uh, we had a brisk start for the opening 15 minutes. We dominated possession, but there was, you know, a distinct lack of quality in that, um, our, you know, precision with anything. There was a few chances that went awry. Um, Dan, what did you make of like that opening 15, 20 minutes before Everton started grabbing a hold of the game? I thought we were okay. Uh, it's obviously no, not, not our finest work, but you could tell even in the early stages Everton wanted to get stuck in and get in and around us and work hard and be busy and I think they just grew into the game as it went on and it drifted away from us unfortunately and Capo um like in the stands it was quiet it was a slow start uh you know everything just really struggled to 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 get going atmosphere wise from uh, our away support and yeah as as Dan said we spotted and started. It was brisker, but it wasn't what we've been used to. Yeah, I think the, the early start is um, a big contributor to that as well in terms of the fans. But I also think there's there's nerves setting in the fan base quite a lot. Um, and I think when we don't make the most sprightly start, 
the the fans do get a bit nervous and i think we've seen that in um some of the home games as well um i think that's something we need to to get over as fans and 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 just keep that you know be there make noise and get behind the team because um it's going to be a very long running um we've got enough quality to do it so i think that's just just keep getting behind the team and uh try and make as much noise as possible but when you go to a, a, a ground like everton with players that are that are in your face um, you've got to be up for it. And I think that it means being up for it as players and as fans. Mm. The, the, the Everton grew into the game. Onana looked like a world beater. The Corre, uh, we've seen him before at Watford uh, and, and other teams. And uh, uh, Calvert-Lewin all had uh, some opportunities. I'm going to just play these. They're only very short and they're, they're clips. So, you know, uh, let's see how we go with this. So this is the first one, which is... Um, Calvert-Lewin's miss. Calvert-Lewin! Oh, oh, so close. Great ball in from... That was closely followed by... Picked up by Anana. He's got the better of Odegaard. Calvert-Lewin's into the penalty area. Anana goes alone. Oh, and he couldn't quite pick out Calvert-Lewin in the end, who came sliding in and didn't get the crucial touch that would have put Everton in front. And finally, uh, the chorus. Into Calvert-Lewin, flicked on for Dwight McNeil. McNeil delivers. There's a header from Decore, and that's a big chance as well. He knows it. So three really, really clear shot opportunities where Everton should have at least got probably two goals out of that. Uh, the the things that. Uh, stood out to me were just the midfield and uh, Unana running down that wing. Um, the fact that um, Odegaard um, didn't see seem to be able to deal with him. Party was just out of the game. Um, Dan, your thoughts on those three moves? First of all, I think I think the important thing to note is they've all come from those wide positions, and we've seen and it's been spoken about a lot this season about. Ben White, but more more importantly, Zinchenko stepping inside into that midfield position. And it's worked so well for us when we've been dominating games. But I think as the game slowly turned in Everton's favour and they were seeing more of the ball and really getting in our faces, it it you know, having those men inside didn't work and they were able to get us down the out down, down the outsides. And we've seen that there with those three chances. Luckily, none of them went in, but you know, obviously later in the game it, it paid off for them. Capo, your thoughts on it? Yeah, near enough, uh, in hindsight, wish that they'd have got an earlier goal against us because I think it would have given us time to to make some changes and, you know, change the momentum of the game in the second half. But, um, you know, when they scored the second half, we did struggle to to turn that around. But, I, look, I think I think Everton had a good performance. I think it's... Um, we, we wasn't at our best by any means. But I think it's... The way we've been playing, it's going to take a good performance to beat us. And I think... They did have a good performance. I think you know credit where credit's due. Everton did have that bounce, and they are a tough team to break down. Um, we need to do better at breaking down teams like that. But when you go to grounds like that, where you know the crowd do get with them with one or two chances, you have to be able to take your chances. But I, I, I didn't feel the Everton crowd were getting behind the team. Yes, they they were like, ooh and ah, and when, when uh, they were getting close misses in that first half, I don't think they really got behind them. I think they, they were probably equally as nervous as us um, and, and not engaged in the game. It was more in the second half, especially once Tukowski scores, uh, then they got behind it and the noise was immense. I think there was, the one thing that stands out for me is there was a run of three or four corners in the first half that when they had those corners, the, the noise in the ground just stepped up. And um, before that, yes, it was quiet, but I think at that moment it stepped up a bit. And that was really when the game started to change a bit for us as well. You know, up until that point, I thought we controlled it quite well. Yes, we was a little bit sloppy at times, but their performance just stepped up with the with the fans a bit after that. I've got, I got a video coming up later, which will be the Tarkowski goal. That name really does me, um, but all names do me. Even Smith do me. Um, but <laughs> but um, uh, you will see, like Gabrielle and uh, Saliba, they, they just they just didn't seem at the races. What what did you make of Gabrielle's performance, Dan? I think he's been, you know, really good this season. I have to I have to say that before going on to Everton. I think you look at the Tottenham game; it was excellent. Yeah, Harry Kane, but 
I just, I don't know. There's just something about him in odd games. He just doesn't seem up for it. He doesn't seem quite switched on enough. I don't think he necessarily made an error, but we've seen it in the past where he's made big errors that have led to goals or big chances. But yeah, he's, he's, he's better than he showed at the weekend, definitely. And Capo, Terry makes a really good point in here. Like we did, uh, we didn't deal with any of their corners, which is surprising how we've dealt with corners all season and last season. I think it was, wasn't it, uh, fifty-one corners? I think or something like that before we conceded uh, to a corner we we had defended. So the set piece coach last season and throughout the beginning of this season has has been doing a great job. What do you think? Why do you think we look so flimsy? On on it was five corners in the first half, I believe, um, right. that we defended. I mean, you can look at that in two ways. You could say, yes, we didn't deal with them great on the day, or you could say we've improved a lot and we've dealt with them great over the course of the season. You know, every team has an off day and players are going to have an off day. Um, We have that as fans. We have that in our everyday lives. There are certain days where things just for one reason or another don't click. And I think Arteta Arteta sort of hit the nail on the head at the end of the um, end of the game where he said, you know, this now is where we've got to love them a bit more because they've earned it over the course of the season. So, I think it's important not to panic. You see a lot of fans really, I say fans loosely on Twitter, getting on their back um, when they absolutely don't deserve it. Um, let's just bounce back. That's what champions do, champions mentality to get back on you know, winning ways. And if we pick up the three points in the next game, you know, we do go into the City game full of confidence. So one game at a time, we move on and um, yeah, not, not panic. As you know, Saturday was my birthday, but also on top of that, I wasn't feeling 100%. And uh, behind me on this side, I had some guy who plays League Manager or whatever the game is on on Xbox or PS5. He knew everything and he was shouting every instruction. And I really wanted to turn around and go, for sake, you said he can't hear you. The re- <laughs> you know, And on this side, I had two guys who clearly played it because they were they knew every tack tactic every stat about every player on the pitch but it was just so infuriating infuriatingly annoying and then they started uh c-bombing and f-bombing at, at players our players just because they were having a bad day that's the time as as you said and arteta said that's the time to get get behind uh get behind the team and and go for it look um dan um Dyche's tactics seemed that he surrendered the wings he let us run up and down the wings all we wanted and he just packed that midfield. Um, do you think other managers will be looking at that and saying maybe this is how we deal with Arsenal? Uh, possibly, yeah. But I think on our day, you know, look at players like Odegaard especially, you can mark them as close as you want. They're still going to create chances. I just think the physicality of Evan, you look at, you mentioned Onana a few times. I thought he was outstanding. He's a big, strong physical presence in that midfield. I think, a lot of big clubs will be looking at him in the summer as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps playing like that. But they just shut us down. There was no kind of pace or energy in our past. And it looked lethargic. They were getting on us really quickly. Um, and it is, you know, a bit concerning that if other teams start doing this, it's going to stop our momentum that we've built up and we're going to stop winning those games. So hopefully we can, you know, we can overcome that if it does happen to us in the future. It took about a half hour for Arsenal to get into their stride. And, and you talk about um, uh, some of the tactics. One of the tactics was, um, uh, Capo, uh, the way that they doubled up on Martinelli and they doubled up on Saka. I'm going to show you this clip now. Again, I don't know how much is going to get cut out by YouTube, but uh, the people who are watching live, you get the pleasure. Um, this is uh, Eddie's miss. So it took a half an hour to find a way through Ever- Everton's resolute defence. Um, Saka held off, uh, is it Mikulenko? Mikulenko? Uh, he found Eddie and Eddie hit the side of the net. Just have a look at this clip and then I'll talk to you, Capo, about it. Well, Saka's done really well there to pick out Nketiah. Now, what, what's this in a second? Hang on, let me just pause that a second. Um, what's this in a second? I'm only breaking it because it might uh, uh, fool YouTube. Um, this is the, the, the close-up bit, and you'll see how Saka is being pulled and pulled and pulled. And then we'll talk separately almost about Eddie's uh, miss. So look at this. Use his finish. Big opportunity for Arsenal. I just thought there with Enketia, he was going to wait for Pickford. And... So, Dan, uh, Capo, Dan, this is really confusing. Two Dans. How to confuse an Irishman, but two two Dans on a podcast. Um, Dan, uh, Capo, um, 
Saka's the tactics on Saka, they're pulling on him, and we see it later on in the game. I don't have the clip, but um, when uh, Zinchenko gets into uh, with Mope and so on, again, physic, phys, physicality, which Dan talked about. What what did you what, what was your opinion of that? And do you think the referee should have done better? Um, no, I think the referee was right there, to be honest. I think it's a foul, but he plays on, gives us advantage, and, and we don't take it. So I think in that instance, the ref was correct, but I think teams will now know how we how we play a little bit. Um, we have our sort of fullbacks come inside, we flood the middle of the park, but we stretch the pitch with our two wingers, and we cause teams trouble by stretching the pitch. And then when we do switch the ball and play it quickly, we've got such sort of big numbers and technical guys in the midfield that they can't get close to us. And I think that was near enough. You no, know, Everton's tactic is that. Don't let us stretch the pitch. When it goes wide, don't let them take us. Um, take the, Don't let our wide guys take them on, because um, that's where our chances come from. But then near enough, let the likes of Saliba and, and Gabriel Zinchenko have the ball. But then when it comes into Erdegaard, Xhaka and, and Partey, they were very much man for man, and they 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 had one guy each where they just had to get in their face and get close to them. And it worked. Um, and I think, as Terry said in the chat, you know, we need to find a way of breaking teams down that that do this. And that was one of my big worries this season was I, I felt like we wasn't going to score enough goals. And, and you know, so far they've hugely proved us wrong or proved me wrong. Um, but I do still feel that there's always that type of game in us where sometimes we will struggle to break a team down. And if we don't get an early goal, the pressure just mounts and mounts. And um, we need a, a way of calming things down at times not to rush and panic. Dan, I'll put this still up here of Saka getting pulled again from another angle. Again, I asked the question, should the referee have done more? And we'll go into the referee in more detail about Pickford later on as well. Yeah, I think we've we've seen it time and time again this season, haven't we, with Saka just getting lumps kicked out of him. I don't know. in, In his time in the first team, I don't really recall him having even really a minor injury. I, I don't know how it how it's been the case because he seems to get whacked and kicked every single week. And I do think, you know, there needs to be a bit more protection for him. Um, you see the same with Martin Lilly sometimes. I don't think to the same extent. But yeah, the, I think the referees do need to do more. Although I am a fan of the physical game. Some of it just goes too far. Um, and uh, with Eddie, Dan, uh, what did you make of his miss? Big opportunity for Arsenal. I just thought there with Enketia, he was going to wait for Pickford. And... I, I remember watching Eddie in an under-23 game, I think it was like 2018, and he had a very, very similar chance to that. It was probably an even tighter angle, and he smashed it in at the near post, and I think he was trying to do something similar there. But for me, he's just got he's got to dink it. Wait for Pickford to go to ground and just gently lift it over him. He's just putting way too much on it. Um, and that's the kind of finish, you know, the way he is as a player, you'd expect him to score there, really. Mm. Mm. Um, Dan, so uh, we look at um, Saka's uh, shot then. So Shaka, uh, Saka, um, he beat Pickford and he cleared the last man, um, uh, only to be cleared off the line by Connor Cody. Let's have a look at this Martinelli. Sinchenko. Opportunity to cross it. Saka! Off the line. Connor Cody it was who got back there. Pickford was well beaten. Really good cushion volley by Saka. Did everything he could to focus on the tech. Very unlucky. Very unlucky. Connor Cody in the right place, right time, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's brilliant technique from Saka. He watches it out of the sky first time. It's, it's excellent from him. But, you know, as a defender, you've got to be there. And, and Cody was. He was indeed. Capo, uh, we, we, we jumped. We, we we all went. We thought that was it, didn't we? And, you know, if we had got that one goal then, clearly it would have been a very different game. I think we would have turned turned it on. Uh, maybe the, the crowd would have got behind, uh, well, the Arsenal fans would have got behind uh, Arsenal further. Uh, and um, I think the Everton uh, fan base, who were already disgruntled from uh, the protest beforehand, um, I think they would have turned on, on Everton a little, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but that is the Premier League, right? That's um, you know, fine margins in both boxes and and unfortunately they they took their chance and we didn't in, in that game. But 
I think it, it, that that sort of chance shows the type of game that we had and how Everton played because it's not the most clear-cut chance. Um, and that was near enough one of our one of our better chances that and, that and Eddie's missed. So, um, yeah, a bit of an off day, but as I say, we, we go again next week and I think we'll, uh, we'll move on and we'll be fine. So second half comes and uh, where not much really happens for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and then this happens. I, You know what? I think half of this is going to get pulled down by YouTube. I guarantee you half of this is going to get pulled down by YouTube. But let's, let's go. Um, Markovsky heads Everton in front. Everton won. Arsenal nil. A delight at Goodison Park. Look at those fans. So, Dan, excellent goal. Uh, great set piece by Everton. Um, great use of height and power and strength. But what do you make of our defending of that? Do you think Do you think there's any fault in the defending in there? Um, I'm not. I'm not going to get into the whole tactics of zonal and, and man marking. But from a corner, there's no way Martin Odegaard should be marking somebody like Tarkovsky. It's not a battle he's going to win, especially at the back post. You know, ever going to hang the ball up there and Tarkovsky's going to go and meet it. There was no way he was winning it. I think they did have the height advantage. If you look at the, you know, the size of their players, you look at Onana, I think he was like six four, six five. Tarkovsky's well over six foot. Cody, Cody as well. Uh Calvert Lewin. We we've got what Gabriel Saliba and Partey. And there's 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 a man extra there that somebody's got to pick up pick up and it's never gonna go well for us as as we saw. Mm. I don't. I think Party had probably gone off just before that. I think fifty-nine minutes. Party went off, and uh, Jorginho came on. Um, Dan uh, Capo, talk us uh, through what you thought about the goal and conceding the goal, and then uh, we'll go on to Jorginho as well. Yeah, I, I think you know, as Dan said, Odegaard shouldn't be marking him in that position. But we obviously do a lot of work in the background on on. A mixture of zonal and man-to-man marking but there has to be a bit of in-game management as well where players will say to each other look i can't be marking him someone else needs to come and mark him um and that has to be intelligence on the pitch you know there's there's only a, so much that the team in the background can do in terms of the management and the coaching you know that the players have to take responsibility so i think that's just um that's a mistake i think when you concede from a set piece Unless it's a real clever set piece, I think in most cases it is a, it is a mistake. Um, but yeah, as we said, I think it's not happened too often, so I wouldn't be too downbeat on it being a regular occurrence. But to lose a goal by a set piece is disappointing. Arteta made some changes. Um, he uh, took off Party, who doesn't seem right, hasn't seemed right for a few weeks, um, and um, when when on form. He's outstanding, and there's no better um, defensive midfielder in the league, I don't think. Um, but Jorginho, a uh, new signing from Chelsea, uh, he's on a an eighteen month or twelve to eighteen month contract, ten million pounds. Uh, Capo, what was your your, your view? I know the, some people walking across Stanley Park uh, had a view, but we won't talk about them so much. But um, what was your view of his performance? Of Partey or Jorginho? Jorginho. Um... When I watched it back, I think my opinion slightly changed a bit as well. Um, I don't think he was that bad. I think people are, are using him as a scapegoat, you know. I think Partey didn't have the best game. And I think he deserved a chance. I, I, I don't see that he did anything worse than the rest of the team. You know, there's, there's not a single person I think I could pick out from that 14, 15 players that played and say one person was any worse than the other. So I think it's just fans picking out a scapegoat and he's the, the latest one because he's just come from Chelsea and everyone disagrees. A lot of people disagree with the transfer. So not everyone. I think some people have sense. But To be honest, as as a transfer, I, I didn't understand it. Uh, but when you look at the, the, the financials involved and the time of the, the length of the contract and the experience the guy's got, yeah, I can understand. Uh, but when I, I first heard of it, I, I don't think I was too keen. Um, seeing his performance, Dan, on the pitch, what did you make of his performance? For me, I thought he made one mistake uh, of note, uh, but nothing more than that. 
Yeah, I don't. I think Capo's right. I don't. I don't think it was as bad as some people are possibly making out. I do think that a game like that is not necessarily suited for him, where people are getting in his face and he's not got much time on the ball. I think we're going to see him at his best when we're playing against teams who are trying to, you know, really sit back and give us a bit of room because we know he's got that ability ability to pick a pass, especially from deep positions that he's going to play in. Um, and just on, you know, whether he's a good sign or not, I, I think, you know, we. We'll obviously see how he does, but I think it's a smart bit of business. It's not a long contract like we've seen in the past. I think in a players like David Luiz, for example, there's there seems to have been a change in the mentality, and and we've realised that we can't keep doing that. Um, I think his experience, you know, he's won the Euros, he's won the Champions League, he's won trophies pretty much everywhere he's gone, and big clubs have been after him in the past. He's definitely got a lot of quality still at his age. Um, He's going to be a voice in that dressing room as well. When he, he knows how to win trophies, as I've said, and that, that'll be big for us, especially in the running. Terry in the chat um, has a lot to say today, um, but he also says he's uh, hopes he's proven wrong, but Trossard and Jorginho don't bring us anything different, are indeed the same level of the, the players they, they replace. Um, I, I think he's meaning, like, you know, Jorginho for party, Trossard for Martinelli. What's your thoughts on that, Dan? I think we well, everybody knows that we needed bodies through the door in January. But the problem you've got in January is you can't get the players you want. You get what is available, not you know dream signings. Um, I think, as I said with Jorginho, good bit of business. Trossard, I'm, I'm happy with as well. He's proven himself in the Premier League over the past three, four years. Um, he's got good numbers in terms of goals and assists. Um, but it's going to take time for them to adapt and... I can understand why it's frustrating for some people. Um, but yeah, I think we've got to give them an opportunity. They've proven in the past they can do it at this level. So we'll wait and see. The one thing I would say is, and I assume you guys were sat right behind in the second half, I don't want to see Trossard take a corner for us ever again. They were no. all... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he didn't get past the first man on that. On, we're we're right by the corner. three of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. It, they, they were poor, and older God had to come short and everything else. Capo, your, your views on, uh, on on Terry's comment there about Trossard and Jorginho. Um, I think we were walking again through Stanley Park with Lyle and Dan and Dave, and we we're talking about Trossard that he was outstanding in his. I think we were my words. He was outstanding in his cameo against United. He was brilliant in our, our previous game, and just nobody really performed properly against Everton. Yeah, yeah, I think that's literally spot on that I think there isn't a single player that stood out. You know, it's not a case of they had a poor game. I think the, the team had a poor game. But um, I'm not sure I agree with Terry's comment that they, you know, don't bring us anything different. I think they're very, very different, in all fairness. I think Martinelli is a player that will stay out wide, um, commit players and go past players, whereas Trossard will come inside and play between the lines. So I think when you are not winning a game, and you're dominating and you need to make a change. I think Trossard is a good um, good player to come in and switch things up, as I also think Jorginho is. You know, Partey is a very physical player that can can cover ground and help you establish yourself in the game. Whereas I think when you're already established in the game and you need to break a team down and you've got comfortable possession, Jorginho is a little bit more creative and a bit more of a deep-lying playmaker than, than um, Partey is. So I, I think they actually are two very good additions to our squad. Um, and I think if we're judging them after one or two games, you know, we, we've done that before with many other players. So um don't think we should be already. And, and Trossard was top scorer for Brighton before he left. So, like you know, he, he can score a goal as well. Uh, listen, there, there's many other faux pas that we can go through. Eddie was screaming for a ball to be placed just outside the penalty spot and Odegaard didn't put a ball through. Odegaard uh, skied one over the bar. We had two or three chances in the second half, uh, maybe to get an equaliser. But I don't think, you know, the stars were not aligned for us. We weren't helped, Dan, by um, T-Rex. You know, the the England number one with the short arms, sausage hands. Um, Pickford, I don't rate him. Um, But 
Jesus. I'll tell you what, he couldn't work for Timex or he couldn't work for Casio because he wasted so much time. It was unreal. And it wasn't helped by, there was a ball boy. We won't go into the ball boy. Ball boy is told what he's meant to do. But it wasn't helped by Coot, the referee. The referee just was more interested with laughing with other players around the centre circle and chatting rather than calling out... um, uh, Pickford for time wasting. He was jovially moving the ball from one side of the box to the other side of the box, playing with his own crowd. It, it, it was absolutely to the point of disrespect. I feel. What What did you think? You watched it on TV. The thing is, Fergus, uh, it's obviously annoying when it's against your team. But if it was the absolutely. other way around, if Ramsdale was doing it. Th- think I think back to Jens Lehmann all those years ago. I can't remember what game it was. It was at the Emirates and he was failing to throw the ball over the advertising board deliberately, of course, to, to waste time. And, you know, I look back on that as an Arsenal fan and I say, you know what, it's not great sportsmanship, but it's funny, isn't it? And it helped us. So it's, you know, it's, it's whatever side of the fence you're on, I think. But it obviously was uh, very frustrating from Pickford. Shithousery is part of the game. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I get that. And the way Newcastle managed us and, and done, done us uh, the other week, um, I, I, I'm absolutely fine with that. I come along and say if, uh, exactly what you said. If the shoe was on the other foot and we were doing it against Man City to win the league, we'd be delighted with it. Mm-hmm. But the referee has got to take some responsibility. I think legally you're allowed six or seven seconds to take a kick out to restart play. There is there is a, a time. Also, your hands, I think. I think that's that from your hands. Yeah, okay. but I'm not, I'm not sure uh, how, for how many but years the rule has been applied. But I was talking to the lady beside me, and I was saying to her, I said, because uh, she was reasonable and everything else, and she was going, oh, that's ridiculous. And I said, uh, yeah, he's just time wasting shit housery, this, that, and the other. And I said, he'll get a yellow card, but he won't get a yellow card until I past the 85th, 86th minute. It was just past 85 minutes. He gets did a yellow get one card. Again, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, 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 but... At that point, it, it's absolutely wasted. And the thing is, uh, I might be wrong here, but I don't think I've ever seen a goalkeeper get a yellow card for time wasting and then get another one and get sent off. It's just, it's not, it's not going to happen, is it? So, the, what, no. what is the point in giving him the yellow card? If anything, by giving him the yellow card, you're wasting more time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Dan Capo, <laughs> it was frustrating. Yeah, it is. I, I, again, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the, the instruction, yes, has to come from the ref, but it also has to come from the instructions to the ref. You know, the the FA have to be saying to them, look, we need to crack down on this. And also potentially a change in the rules where we are stopping the clock when it goes out of play and we are focusing more on how often the ball is in play. Ultimately, we are always going to be the side that's on the wrong end of it more often than not because we are a side pushing at the top of the league rather than the bottom. And teams will come to us and, and try and nick a win or nick a point. You know, having said that, if we're 1-0 up on Wednesday against Man City and we're doing the exact same thing, every single one of us will be celebrating it. So absolutely, um, absolutely. you can't be leaving it to the fans and the people in the ground to make those rules. That has to be an instruction from the FA. Um, and finally on this game, before we look at the, the stats and move on, um, Mopé, uh, he's got history with Arsenal. Um, and he's wound up another gooner. He's wound up um, Zinchenko. Uh, he's he's a he's a nasty piece of work, isn't he, Capo? Oh, Dan, you go. He's just drinking his drink. The only thing I'm going to say on Mope is look at his goal scoring record. He should focus more on doing his job as a striker than winding people up. That's all I have to say on him. I don't think there's anything more to say, is there, Capo? <laughs> I mean, look, players like that. Um... That's all they've got, you know. If they, uh, good luck to him. I, no, no one likes. Him. To be fair, he, um, he he made us twenty five million on Martinez by uh, injuring Lano, so maybe he made us some money. So let's just leave it there. Um, there we go. The stats: we had sixty nine percent of possession. We had thirteen shots on goal, uh, two on target versus eight and four. Um, so yeah, you know, we we. The game was managed. I think we've done with this game. Uh, I was done with it by about two o'clock I think on uh, on 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 Saturday it was uh, dreadful um must admit though walking across Stanley Park and seeing um uh, Anfield and the new stand that's going in blimey they're plowing some money in there you would have thought they'd plow some money into the team instead wouldn't you 
but be a nice stadium in the championship at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up is Arsenal versus Brentford, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Um, I'll go to you, Dan. Do you change the lined up? Do you change? No. Do you change your winning formula? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you've got to look at at the weekend as as a blip, as a one off. You know, as coming up against a team that have got the new manager bounce, that were well up for it. Um, I think you've got to you've got to keep the same team that has you know been so brilliant throughout the rest of the season. Um, but Brent, Brentford's not going to be an easy game. Don't don't underestimate them. I think they're on a, a pretty decent unbeaten run at the moment. They might be up to seventh or eighth. I think I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to be a difficult test. And and um, Dan, what what's your thoughts on the on the uh, on the Brentford game? Would you change anything? What what do you do with Party? Do you think Party's going to be fit enough to start? Is that Dan or a Capo? Uh, sorry, Capo, Capo. Sorry, yeah. These I two guys confused me. Um, do you know what? I think I think we do make a couple of changes. Um, I don't think we make too many. Uh, Brentford are a very very good side. Um, we have a very difficult game midweek, and I know one game at a time, but. There are a couple of players that I feel like just need a little bit of a break, um, especially with such a big, big game coming up of high intensity. Um, and I think where we can make changes with very little change to the team and the way we play, I think I would make it. So I think someone like um, Martinelli might need a bit of a rest. I think he's just dropped off a little bit. Um, and then it also gives an opportunity for Trossard to impress. And if Trossard does very, very well, then I think he earns a start against City. Um Partey, I think it all depends on his fitness. I still feel like there's something not right there with him. Um, and if it is a little niggle, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the bench. And then also, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Tommy Asu come into the side. But um, I wouldn't be making any more than that. Dan, and this is Dan this time, uh, do you start Tierney over Zinchenko? Uh, do you keep Zinchenko back for City? I love Tierney. But there is no way I'm dropping it for Zinchenko. Absolutely, absolutely no way. I, Zinchenko is the most important player for us because he completely changes the way we play. Tierney's not going to step inside and create the extra man like Zinchenko does, and that's how we've dominated so many games this season. So there's absolutely no way I'll, I'll be I'll be bringing Tierney. And I, I love him. Don't get me wrong, but it's 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 a complete step down in terms of what he does for the team. Uh, an aside question. Yes, I love Tierney as well. And I think Tierney, uh, when fit, has been uh, a very, very good player. A decent offer come in for him. Would you, Dan, sell him? Oh, that's a difficult question. What 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 would you class as a decent offer would, would be my would be my other question. I think if you get how much did we north, pay for him? Like 20, 25 million, something like that? Yeah, so north north of thirty. So uh, yeah, if for like thirty five upwards, I think if we got an offer in, I'd I'd, I'd consider it. Uh, it's just you <laughs> Capo's shaking his head, he's not a fan of that. <laughs> I think if you can find and obviously it's a big if, if you can find a player who does what Zinchenko does, then absolutely. But if if not, no. I wouldn't. Okay. Sorry, that was just an aside because we've had this conversation several times in the car with different people <laughs> as we were walking in the pubs and everything else. And I, I, I'm, I'm of a mind that for the right money, you move him on, but you need to find the right player to replace him because he is a, a special player, but he's not been fit for Celtic. He's not been fit for Arsenal uh, for like long runs. He's out for quite a bit. And it, it might be the same for party in a year's time. I might be saying the same thing because it depends if he gets the proper run in the game. Ivan Tony uh, Capo, is he, um, is he the, the biggest threat that we have to worry about with um, Brentford? No, the biggest threat is you two making wrong decisions like selling, selling Tierney. <laughs> awful, awful decision. What are you guys doing? Well, I'm not selling any of our 18 at the minute. They're all fantastic. But jokes aside, he is as good a backup as you're ever going to get. You're not going to, it doesn't matter about the money, you can get 90 million for him. Who are you going to, you're not going to buy a, a first team player that's going to be happy to sit in his role and not be starting week in, week out. So you, he's he's as good as you're going to get in that backup role. Um, and yeah, exactly as Lyle said, can't sell KT. Him and his Tesco bag can't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, Ivan, Ivan Tony, obviously, he's a, he's a huge um, huge threat to our team. He's a big, big player for Brentford, scores a lot of goals. They've got a, a team that just works hard. Um, he's the guy that's normally in the right place at the right time and, and finishes it off or, um, or taps in the pen. But 
they're, they're, they're a team that's more than one guy, I think. Even when he, um, he missed a few games, who was it? Um, was it Wisser and, and Waymo that stepped up, I think, as well? Yeah, yes, Lyle, Fergus out. I'm, I'm definitely with that comment. <laughs> uh, Lyle introduced me to a great pub in, in um, uh, just near Anfield uh, called The Church. Five pints between those. Uh, it was £15 for five pints. It was unreal. And it was a really good pint of Guinness. Sadly, I had to bail out and I went back to my hotel. I was in bed by four o'clock in the afternoon. When have I ever been in bed at four o'clock in the afternoon on an away day? It's ridiculous. I was sick as a dog. But anyway, um, uh, Dan and Kappa, both of you can answer this. And I'll go to Dan first. The crowd, um, the, the Arsenal uh, supporters, there's a bit of nerves that we talked about with the away team. It might have been the early start. It might have been, I don't know, the loss against City and now a loss against Everton. We're going into this game against Brentford. We need, need, need to win this game, especially Wednesday in mind. Um, uh, how big is the responsibility on the crowd on Saturday at three o'clock? Dan? Well, it's, it's massive. It's massive. But uh, what I would say is, and you guys have, have been to a fair few more games than I have this season, um, but the, the crowd the crowd is, is unreal at the moment. The way they get behind the team, you, you look at you know the Man United game the other week, went 1-0 down, you could hear the crowd. You could hear them getting behind the team and they really have been, it's a bit cliche, but that, they have been that 12th man. They've, they've been excellent and I can't fault them this season. I really can't. Apparently there's a ginger guy with a flag um, that started all off. Yeah. Capo, anyway, how important is the crowd? At what time are we meeting at block five, block six on Saturday? And everybody else needs to get in there and join in, don't they? Oh, I haven't seen a ginger guy. I've seen a Moroccan sunset, but I've not seen a ginger guy. Whatever. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, there is a dodgy old Irishman with some dodgy old moves in there. So watch out for him. There is Dad Danson. <laughs> um, yeah, I think ex- exactly that. Look, come on. It's. Um, Remember why you're there. You're there to to enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying where we are at the minute, then you're never going to enjoy it. So just get there early, have a few drinks, everyone have a sing-song. And um, I'd like to hear from the concourse, your defence is in trouble and get you in the room. Just because Fergus doesn't like it, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't throw beer. By the way, that was um, that was somebody else hit my elbow, and and the beer went everywhere, and then beer went everywhere else. Yeah, so that was that was that was ahead of the Man United game. Down, as you said, though, inside the stadium it was unreal. It, in the concourse, uh, this season has been fantastic, thanks to the likes of the Ashburton Army, myself and and Capo uh, getting in early, and we're, we we have a regular fifteen twenty that gather, and they bring more and more and more. It, Dan's more famous on TikTok than I don't know who's famous on TikTok. I don't know. Ginger guy, Prince Harry, maybe. I don't I don't know. So yeah. Um oh, I've never been so offended with anything you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh uh predictions for uh the game on Saturday then. What are we going uh, Dan, I'll go with you first as the guest. Oh, I forgot you were gonna make me do this. Um <laughs> two one Arsenal. 2-1 Arsenal, okay. Um, and uh, Moroccan Sunset Capo? My predictions, Fergus gets himself in trouble with all these comments on Saturday if he keeps them going. <laughs> throws his beer up in the air. No, I'm going for... I'm going to go for a 2-0. 2-0. I, I, I'm with you. I'm going to go 2-0 as well. I'll, I'll go 2-0. Uh, we've got Matt in the comments going 4-1. Anybody else want to put whatever they want in the comments? Uh, let us know. We'll pop it up on the screen. Um, and just to have... Fergus, though, what time are we meeting on uh, on Saturday and what time do people join us if they want to? Well, it's, it, it's, Lyle, it's Lyle's birthday. So the Arsenal Tavern, Ben Bennett and Lyle and uh, the others are going there. So uh, we're going we're going to go there. I would have thought we need to get in early so we don't queue. Otherwise, we'll end up in the Woodbine and having a decent pint of Guinness. Ben's gone for 2-1. Alan's gone for 2-0. So there's a few on there. Uh, Matt asked where Trev was. Rewind, mate. Uh, he's um, he's he's on aisle seven, rescuing ice cream. Um, it will make sense when you uh, when you listen. Uh, Lyle said uh, twelve o'clock, Arsenal Tavern. Might be a little bit early, but I'll probably be there. Uh, knowing me, I'll probably be there. Uh, so, guys, um, that's uh, that's Saturday. Man City. We've got on Wednesday. We'll cover that probably in the week. But you know, we had we had a poor result on Saturday, but it was counteracted by. Uh, a poor result from Man City on Sunday. Um, it was great to see them dropping points. 
it's never good to see the other lot getting any points. But what was funny about the whole thing was the Spurs fans celebrating how wonderful they are for still beating Man City and then realising as soon as they celebrated they'd actually done Arsenal a favour. <laughs> I'll tell you what wasn't funny though, Fergus, and that is seeing pictures of a chicken on a basketball stuck on top of our crest. There's absolutely, oh, absolutely. funny about that. And if you've ever retweeted, made one or done anything in that instance, hang your head in shame. Yeah, no, no, I do agree. I do agree. I, I've seen, I've seen a few of them. Uh, you do. I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this cartoon sort of badge. I prefer the older badge. I love the Art Deco, the Art Deco one from the 1930s. But don't put a chicken and a ball on, 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 on this. Thank you very much. Um. So another thing that's happened at Man City. Man City have been charged uh, with 100 irregular financial irregularities. Martin Ziegler, uh, um published this story, which came out from the Spiegel, am I right, Dan? And said the Spiegel about four years ago? Yeah. Um, do you want to go into a little bit of, not necessarily detailing it, because I think everyone's heard enough on on, on talk crap and, and BBC and, and, and the various channels, but how do you feel this the impact that this is going to have on uh, Premier League football, the impact it may have on Arsenal Football Club, and when do you think this impact may be felt? Well, firstly, I think, I don't know whether you two feel the same, but I think over, I'd say the past month, maybe since it came back from the World Cup and the Premier League started again, Man City have not looked like themselves. And it, it, looked, it looked to me like there was something going on in the background and, and Pep, you know, was was not not quite sure of what was happening. And it all looked a bit, a bit, a bit odd. And obviously this has now come out, we've seen Pep, speak in the past about you know if, if there was any kind of things to do with financial irregularities then getting in trouble we've seen it with UEFA um they got just about got off with that but Pepper said he would go and I think there's there's been something there that's been playing in the background and and obviously we now know what it is in terms of an impact on us I don't think it's going to have an impact on us um this season because it's going to take a while for them to to produce some kind of sanction, whether that be a points deduction, relegation, a fine, which in my opinion would be a joke if it's just a fine. Um, I think it's going to take two, three years for them to decide what's going to happen. They've got a lot of evidence to look through. Man City have obviously you know, got to bring in the lawyers and try and fight this. So it's it's going to be further down the line we see the impact. Um, but the league 2018 League Cup would be ours if the trophies went. So uh, there could be an impact for us further down the line. You know what the really disappointing thing about that is? I, I missed the trophy being paraded because I left at 72 minutes with most of the Arsenal fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few games I've ever left early. It was yeah. just so awful. And it was at the lowest ebb of uh, the final um, breath out, uh, coming out of the, the Wenger uh, the Wenger era. Uh, you talk about the possible um, sanctions, so a suspension of the club from the Premier League, so they could be kicked out of the Premier League. Points deductions, uh, uh, removing of titles, removing of cups, um, cancelling or refusing registration of players. As you said, uh, paying uh, compensation and paying costs to other clubs, irrelevant because um, they've got so much money they can just print more anyway. So I'll just pump it out of the ground. So it, it's going to make absolutely no difference to them whatsoever. Uh, Capo, your thoughts on that? And how do you think that's going to affect, like, okay, Arsenal had their issues pre-Premier League, we had it with George Graham and Bungate and transfer and everything else. Since then, I think we've been pretty squeaky clean. But how do you think this might impact on some other clubs? I know Chelsea have had their problems. Look at Newcastle. They're owned by uh, an oil-rich nation. And then if you want to go into Europe, you've got PSG. Yeah. Um, I mean, firstly, I hope, I would say of all things, that it's not a financial penalty because a financial penalty for a club that's got so much money being injected injected into it makes no difference. I think stripping them of titles, I don't know about you guys, I don't want to be given a League Cup trophy back to 2018. Um, we didn't deserve it on the day and we didn't win it, you know, and we didn't win it on the football pitch. And what goes on in the background is um, is not, you know, anything to do with us, really. Um, it is a very, very big topic. And I think people are underestimating how much this could impact football going forward because there are very different rules between the Premier League and, and, and Europe on this. And, you know, I know they had a, what was it, a 10 million fine in, in Europe, but there was an awful lot that went on delaying and, and sort of, 
the rules going back to a five-year period where it was then too old to punish them any further, whereas the Premier League don't have that. So I think if they did anything wrong, I think there's a higher chance of it being sort of ultimately a, a higher punishment. But this sets a precedent going forward and um, no one really knows what goes on in the background at clubs. Um, you would hope that at Arsenal we are a bit better than that, but you never know. So imagine in a few years' time something comes out about us and we end up having the same punishment. Um, as, as fans, that's not what you want. And um, there are fans of Man City that will be in that situation thinking we're being punished because of something they've done at board level. So do do you feel sorry for Man C- Manchester City fans? Considering, look, so yeah. the, the takeover was in uh, 2008, and this is what's happened. They took over in 2008. They got uh, Mancini as an, a manager to, after second Mark Hughes. Uh, they win their FA Cup um, trophy in, um, in 2011. Uh, Aguero wins the league in 2012. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. They just grow and grow in success. They there's no way Man City, who were bouncing up and down between the the third tier to the first tier, very rarely in the first tier, were ever going to get they, They've had a, a brilliant experience. They, they have, but um, look, the fans that have joined their club since that period, I don't really have much sympathy for, but the, the proper original fans of a club that follow them and have followed them for years, they are the ones that I feel for. Um because no one wants to have their club relegated for things that happen off the pitch and the things that are completely out of their control. Um, having said that, if Man City are doing what they are alleged to have done, then for the competitiveness of football, that's not what we want. You know, ultimately you win, but you win by respecting the rules. And if you break the rules, you deserve a punishment that's sort of befitting of, of what you've done. So, um I do think if they've done what they've said, they deserve to have a real severe punishment, whether that's being demoted through the leagues. I just hope it doesn't come back. And I don't think it will be this season, but I hope it doesn't affect what we did this year. Because, you know, if we do win the league this this season, the players deserve to win it based on merit and not because of a deduction, because the players have been fantastic. So it'd be a real shame for the players if, if that did happen this year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like the tarnish of saying, oh, you only won it because. I know we won the league when we got a points deduction after the fight with Man United and we still went on to win the league. But if we're in this uh, position right now and say, for example, we lose back-to-back against uh, City and then we end up winning by one or two goal uh, points and they'd had a 10-point deduction, then it would feel a little bit... It'd be it would be rubbed in our face and I don't want that. I want to uh, win it purely on merit. Um, you know... Uh, Terry mentions about Rangers in Scotland, you know, they, they got found out and they got chucked right down to the bottom of the league and had to work their way back up again. Uh, do you see, Dan, do you see that being a realistic possibility for, for City? Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I'd be very surprised if they get anything more than a fine, which for me is a joke. Like you've, you've, you've got to, you've got to make an example of, of Man City here, if you're the Premier League, because if they give them just a fine, every other club's going to do this. They're going to flout the rules, spend money, hide money, dock their accounts, whatever Man City have been accused of. There needs to be a serious outcome to this. They need a point deduction, or as harsh as it sounds, relegation, because you can't you can't have every club doing this. And my only concern is if this was say. I don't know, a Southampton or a Bournemouth doing this. Yep. They have no qualms in taking points off them, relegating them. But because it's one of the big boys, one of the teams that makes the Premier League a lot of money, I think they'll take a lighter stance on it. But that, that shouldn't be the case for me. Well, if, if we look at Chelsea as a pres, uh, precedent, uh, how harsh, and I think they were quite harsh on them at one point, like stopping, they could have been harsher, but um, the stopping like uh, sale of tickets, sale of um, any any goods through the store, uh, while they were doing the stuff over Abramovich because of the, the, the war and so on. Um, th- they've got to send a, a really strong message out. Otherwise, we've got Newcastle, who are going to be in the exact same position, Kappa. It depends what they've done. If if it's just spending outside the the fair play rules, then I think we Dan, could probably they, accept. They have allegedly done everything, anything and everything they've done. That's that's what I mean. So it, it, again, 
I am still in favour of innocence until proven guilty, but it's um, it does seem quite likely. But if they have been paying contracts to managers outside of Man City and through another sort of entity, then that's not just breaking the rules. That's that's as fraudulent as you want to get to break the rules. Um, and in that case, I think most people would back them in relegating the club. Um, in that instance. Did- do, do you, last one, I'll, I'll go to Dan on, on this one. Do you not think the alarm bell should have been raised when they signed Rubinho for, was it Rubinho for, for 32 million? Uh, like back in. It was about an hour after the takeover was complete, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was all yeah, the day. Yeah. Do yeah. you not think alarm bell should have been raised then? My my yeah my my question if I if I was able to ask the Premier League would be why is this only coming out now? It's not like this is just one breach or five or ten. This is supposedly a hundred breaches over. I think it's that ten years now, more than ten years, 10, 14, 12, 14 years, fourteen years. Years. Um, why is it taking this long for for this to come out? That they should have been doing more to realise this. And if you, it was to me, it was blatantly obvious in the past few years. You look at the way that they've shot up the commercial revenue charts. And don't get me wrong, they're, you know, they're doing really well on the pitch. But they don't have as big a fan base as, say, a Real Madrid, a Man United, even even us, Chelsea. You know, It's much bigger fan bases, but yet they're at the top of these commercial revenue charts. And it, it, that should have raised alarm bells immediately because there's no way mm. they should be there. Yeah, Karan, Karan, who's in India, he's come along and said all the, the, the new Man City fans are all like just new age glory hunters. They come out of nowhere. They, they haven't had a fan base. Like I, I know when you go on holidays, you'll always see a Liverpool shirt. You'll always see yeah. a Man United shirt. You'll generally see an Arsenal shirt. And you start to see Chelsea shirts over the last few years. And now City shirts. You rarely see a Spurs shirt, in fairness, um, which is, is quite funny. Yeah, even, um, even that, you see far more Spurs shirts even Absolutely. in the UK than you do. I, I I can't think of a single Man City fan that I I know or have met in the past. Not a single one. Uh, I I've got a relative who is a Man City fan, but she's been a relative. She she lives in Stockport, and she's been a City fan from when they were the one of the ones that um, yeah. Capo feels sorry for. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. As Capo says, those ones I completely understand. I feel sorry for them. They've been through everything, and they they thought you know they'd had these glories that are now unfortunately going to be tarnished by the looks of it. Mm. Uh, guys, um, we could go on for hours. We'd, it will be interesting to see what comes out from it. Um, just a quick shout out to Tony Fain in the in the chat. Um, as as was put on Twitter, uh, we had breaking news, but the breaking news was more Tony's news. Uh, Tony broke his tibia and fibia playing football um, in the week. Big T, who's been on the podcast, so we wish you better, mate. I uh, hope the drugs are really, really strong and they're keeping you going through all this. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully get you back on in traction, maybe. But you're lying there with your leg up and and your laptop like that. That that'd be hilarious. Maybe get you on next week or whatever like that. Uh, Dan, let's not make a request quickly. I'd like. Uh, I've seen Ben Bennett in the um, in the chat. I would like you, Ben, to rework the Eduardo da Silva song just for Tony, where it goes, "You broke his leg and he'll be back." I think we'd like to hear a full rendition in the stand just for Tony. Yeah, he likes it. He likes it. He likes it. Ben, you've got a task now, so you better text Ben later and let him know. Uh, Dan, it's been brilliant having you on. Um, uh, make sure it's not uh, well. It's up to me, really. Uh, make sure it's not uh, so long. The next time we'll get you back on. I know the last time we did ask you, you were you're up to your eyes and stuff and everything else. Let people know where they can find you and the good work you do for the Arsenal. Uh, yeah, well, the best place to find uh, the work that I do and, and Leith Yusuf, of course, who's going to fanzine editor, uh, is over on Twitter at Goon Fanzine and then, of course, our website as well, which is online, Gooner. Uh, make sure, obviously, I know times are hard for everybody at the moment, but, you know, please, if you can, do support us because you know, we've been a very long-running institution over the past more than 30 years and we do need your help and support. Um, yeah, if, if you could, please, you know, if, if, if you see us on a match day, if you if you hear the famous Getchaguna, please go and buy one and please do help us because you know we do know our future secure. You you'll generally see live underneath the um uh, the Hornsey Road uh, railway bridge uh, before the game. He's selling it. And who's the chap outside the Arsenal station that you normally see? Uh, Alex. Yeah, Alex is outside there, and he's it is get your gooner, get your gooner. They're a fiver. Listen, you're going to spend four quid on the program. You'll get far more Arsenal stuff and 
Arsenal fan stuff from the Gooner fanzine than you will from uh, that that the, the the program. I don't even bother with the program. I do subscribe to the Gooner. Uh, I'm not a great reader, but I do flick through it. And Ben's often in there with uh, a few songs. Ruth Beck Choir from Master, the show, as we've called it, <laughs> Choir Master. <laughs> um, Ruth Beck has done some of the covers. Uh, the 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 Highbury Librarian uh, is on there. So there's loads of people that we all follow on Twitter, uh, and they're all one of us Arsenal fans that are in the Gooner fanzine. So if you can do something i think it's what 30 quid for the year 35 quid for the year yeah, it's not 30 quid for six editions throughout the season so yes yeah. it's, it's definitely more than worth the money yeah you, you'd spend more than that on a kebab and a beer so like you know exactly. sort themselves out people capo tell people where they could find you well it looks like 12 o'clock in the taverns a start and then in between <laughs> five and six straight after so uh <laughs> yeah you'll see me doing things that i probably shouldn't be doing in uh with a flag draped drape around me. But yeah, come get involved and uh, bring your singing voice. It's something all accountants do, apparently. It's just an accountant sort of thing. They just all wear a flag, dye their don't, hair red. my image as a, as a flag-wearing hooligan. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you have been watching Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans, for Arsenal fans. If you like what we do, click on the bell on YouTube uh, and subscribe. We're up to nearly 820, 830 likes on there. We'd love to get to 1,000. And, uh, you know, if you listen on SoundCloud, jump onto YouTube as well and just uh, um, subscribe on there. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, Up the Arsenal. Up the Spurs. You've been listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons. And remember to rate and review us too. Get you, Gooner. <laughs>